At any rate, welcome to uh, Sinister Sunday uh, here in the upstairs office. Uh, it's not quite as cool as as the basement downstairs, but we will uh, endeavor to make the most of it. And um, it is good to be with you. It has been a very busy weekend uh, for those of you who, uh, you know, haven't been paying attention. You know, I've been doing the, the Santa thing here uh, for the past couple of weeks, and that culminated... In um, yesterday, I, I was was fortunate enough to to kind of see all this come to fruition, and got to see um, the parents show up to get all the gifts that we've been collecting um, for the the charity, the the Christmas Anonymous charity. Uh, thanks again to everyone who contributed to that. And so, yeah, I got to be one of the people kind of helping parents go shop for their kids. And it was, um, it was really cool. It was, it was very satisfying. Um, I got to actually see, uh, you know, the, the stuff that you guys bought and I could tell like, oh yeah, that's, that's something, uh, that came from our wish list, uh, and ended up on the tables and, uh, got to see those parents come collect all the gifts and, and, um, you know, they carried bags around behind them as they were picking stuff out. And it was, uh, it was really wonderful and at, at times very emotional, you know, I mean, a lot of these people are kind of down on their luck and there's a, a certain amount of, um, you know, like there, there is a weird shame that comes from asking for help. Uh, when it when it comes to stuff like this, and and it was really nice to try to uh, uh, kind of help people feel like no 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 this you know like this is nothing but a positive thing, and like there were people who were crying, and it was it, like again very emotional, really wonderful in a lot of ways, and uh, it was fantastic. So um, again, thanks to everyone who contributed for that. Uh, it was. Uh, like genuinely an honor to be kind of part of that. So I am, um, I'm very pleased. Uh, think, thanks again, uh, for, for helping make all that happen and, and for just kind of making for a good, uh, Christmas for a lot of people. That was wonderful. So, um, Alan asking, am I in witness protection? No, uh, I just shave, you know, obviously for Santa related reasons, and now I'm in uh, my upstairs office where you can see, like, there's my stationary bike behind me, as well as books, as well as uh, there's a Bigfoot right there, you'll notice, uh, hanging out on the bookshelf. And um, uh, as well as uh, a monkey. Uh, so, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, so anyway, Dan uh, saying... Uh, it was a great cause. It was a great cause. Uh, it was super fun. I was very honored to be part of it. It was great. I, I can't wait to do it again next year. So, you know, you've got a year off before you hear me harping about buying stuff uh, yet again. Um, okay. But uh, we've got dirty, filthy business ahead of us here uh, this evening. Um, first of all, we've got a new series beginning on... Uh, the Dark Parade, as of this week, we're going to be covering all three of uh, uh, of the Dark Parade, no, Dark Parade, all the Black Christmas movies 
uh, starting with 1974's Black Christmas, and then we're doing the 06 remake, as well as the 2019 remake. So, um, Alan saying that we, uh, we pissed off the Cat Squad. Nah. The Cat Squad. Man. So, um, Friday, the, uh, Duncan dropped the conversation I had with Doug about all the William Friedkin movies, which I now have seen every feature film that William Friedkin ever did, uh, at least theatrically released and, and then some, and all included in that is that he did two of them, uh, movies for cat squad, which was counter assault tactics, terrorism, something like that. Anyway, made for TV, like espionage movies that are truly head scratching. Um, I, I can't honestly say, uh, why those movies exist but they do. And I saw them. And the second one, I mean, truly, if you listen to that show, you'll know like the second one better than the first, which I, I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying it's true. Um, anywho, the, uh, yeah. So Dan, I'm, I've, I'm actually working on the last, the first two episodes of the black Christmas, uh, series are recorded in the can, as they say in the podcasting business. Um, and the, the 2019 movie, I'm about halfway through and I kind of stopped just cause I was a little bit tired cause I'm old. Gram Gramps was tired, but, uh, it, yeah, it did not seem great. And it, uh, I'm, maybe my problem with it, like, I, again, I'm only halfway through it and I haven't gotten to the meat of the movie yet. And maybe it gets worse. I don't think it's, awful yet but also it's very didactic like it you, there is no subtlety at uh, whatsoever with this movie and i think that's a little bit of a bummer like there is a way to do this movie that maybe isn't quite so on the nosy but eh, um anywho that's what uh that's what's coming ahead on the dark parade as well as some found footage fool stuff and heart of horror and I was listening uh, today. I was kind of dis. One of the reasons I'm up here today is I was completely disassembling my office and kind of putting it back together, especially my computer desk. And the reason I was doing all of that is so that I can actually do a little bit of game streaming in the future um, with some of the new systems, like with the PS5 and the Xbox, so that uh, I can, you know, both play in 4K but still capture in a way that's not exactly 4k but I, I can stream all that stuff and i can actually the I, like i was running into a problem where uh, some of the games were just like well we don't natively stream this game and uh, so anyway long story short i spent more money than i should have uh selling uh our, on on some like capture equipment and that kind of thing but I, I, it all sort of paid for itself because I was selling off my old video game consoles, which it turns right now, uh, turns out right now it's kind of a seller's market for that stuff. So I was selling off like an old Xbox One and uh, a PS4 that had some extra storage in it, and it all didn't entirely pay for itself, but pretty close. And uh, and it's going to let me do some game streaming that I've been wanting to do, and I'm going to have some time to do. In fact, I'm probably going to do a little bit of that tonight. Um, and I'll, you know what, while I've got you guys here, I'll even ask you, um, 
if you were going to watch some of that, because we've got our, our Twitch channel, and that's typically what I stream to when I'm doing the video game stuff, but uh, would YouTube be better? And I'll just kind of put a pin in that question, but you know, feel free to drop that question into the chat. Um, but... Uh, um, Best buff, awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the uh, Dan was saying the the he liked the T-shirt, the official the gate T-shirt. Here we'll uh, huh, huh, the gate. Um, yeah, I, I'm a I, I like this shirt as well. Um, best dwarf movie hands down. He says it. I mean, what about Blade? He's pretty great in Blade, and Blade's a pretty great movie. Just asking. Um, it's up there. I mean, it's a contender. Don't get me wrong. Um, okay. So with that out of the way, let's get to uh, some questions. Or not questions, although feel free to throw some questions into the chat. Let's get to some news. Because um, I, I don't have a lot up front to say other than... I have been just doing nothing but like testing stuff today and uh I am eager later once I ooh let's change that yeah eh, I can't get the angle right there we go uh yeah after completely disassembling the office um I I'm 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 kind of beat it's been a day uh, Jason saying Steven Dorf would have been a fantastic gambit back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I would like to hear him attempt the accent before I, I give a full throated, um, positive reaction to that, but I'm not, I'm not against it. I am. I'm not a Dorf hater. That's for sure. Um, anyway, like I said, let, let's get to some news here. And, uh, and I'll circle back around, uh, to, uh, some questions and whatnot. I got a thing I think in the news that is going to be, uh, a little fun to talk about. I hope, um, let's start though with something that's a little bit sad. Uh, poor Ann Rice, um, is, uh, is no longer with us at the age of, of 80 Ann Rice, the novelist behind, um, interview with the vampire and I mean, geez, what, what else? Uh, just, you know, well, one of the iconic authors of the, certainly the eighties and nineties. Um, I, you know, I remember Anne Rice hitting big, uh, real big with like interview with the vampire in particular. And then, the hubbub around discovering like, Oh, under a pseudonym, she'd written all these kind of naughty fairy tales, uh, the sleeping beauty series and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, she was a, a formative novelist for sure. And whether or not you like interview with the vampire. And I'm one of those people that I try to read interview with the vampire a couple of times. I, I think I got through it on audio tape on a uh, book on cassette back when that was a thing and I always thought Vampire Lestat was kind of the better of uh, of those novels but and I didn't read like Tale of the Body Thief and is it Mimnon the Devil Mimnock the Devil blah 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 um uh, I I never read any of those but you can't 
overstate how how significant her contribution was to horror literature and and how she pulled so many people into kind of gothic literature and that kind of thing um so you know i i i don't want to damn with faint praise because like i said i i don't think you can um you can you can overstate just how important she was even if you weren't the biggest fan of hers like you know the the vampires i prefer are the monstrous ones but she made horror fans out of a generation and and sort of breathed life back into the vampire as a monster you know like so much of the the modern take on vampirism is directly from Anne Rice and her kind of brooding take on vampires of like seeing that as a curse the the idea of immortality as as this kind of morose curse that is visited um on on these people on, on these characters uh yeah you know like vampire the masquerade would not be what it is without Anne Rice um Dan saying up there with Mary Shelley in his opinion um yeah I mean I would say quite frankly Anne Rice's output was was certainly greater than Mary Shelley's when it came to the genre and she you you just you would not modern vampire movies would not be what they are if they weren't for Anne Rice for better or worse um you know you don't get to a twilight without Anne Rice um which again for better or worse that's just how it is and and those movies were and books were seismic as well and you know she was kind of the godmother godmother of of the modern vampire um and yeah and i you know all that to say even despite my own feelings about uh, you know sort of that take on the vampire like what an, an amazing life what an amazing output what an amazing um you know creative endeavor that uh of, of creating the the vampire chronicles and that kind of thing it, it you just can't i mean what a what an enormous win of a life that she led and uh the, her son um christopher was the one who who kind of shared all of this in social media that she had passed away and as part of that he described her last moments um with her sister and like you know the 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 family around her like she had had a stroke um and the i think it was her younger sister or perhaps older anyway her sister uh as as Anne Rice lay in bed uh, her her sister took her hand and just said you took us on a hell of a ride kid and she did you know i mean that's true of not only her family but but that's true of sort of the world you know like again there's just so much that you you can trace back to that like you know whether it's like the the vampire diary show or whatever like all of that stuff happened because of Anne Rice uh she is enormously influential um Dan said I would also say she did for vampires what Romero did for zombies a hundred percent yes yes it is right it is that level she is Romero level of of uh, creative talent and and creative influence. Um, so a, a sad note, but also what a hell of a life she lived. And it's not like she suffered in obscurity, like she was uh, acknowledged 
uh, for being a, an incredible uh, writer and and you know a towering influence in, in her own lifetime. So she got to enjoy the, the you know the reap the benefits of her of her uh, her work, uh, which is fantastic. So anyway, sad news, but uh, boy, like I said, what a what a, what a life that she led. Um, all right. So enough of the, uh, the sad news there. Let, let's move on to something, uh, that's a little more fun. Um, let's catch up with our old friend, our friend, uh, Flanagan, Flanagan, our friend Flanagan, uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, has been talking up, um, the fall of the house of Usher, uh, especially, um, casting news about the fall of the house of Usher. And so it is going to be um, uh, Samantha Sloyan, uh, who recently was in Midnight Mass, um, uh, Rahul Kohli, uh, who was also recently in Midnight Mass, Kate Siegel, uh, Zach Guilford, uh, Katie Parker, um, and uh, Michael Trucco, My- Malcolm Goodwin, Crystal Ballant. And notably, uh, Mark Hamill has joined the Flanagan verse, the Flanaverse, uh, to do Fall of the House of Usher. I'm really excited. Um, Fall of the House of Usher, like according to Flanagan, uh, he said is a modern remix of a lot of the the works of Edgar Allan Poe. So it's just Flanagan playing in the world of Poe. Um. And I, I could not be more excited. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that he takes a couple of cues from, um, Roger Corman and that it's, it's that kind of like Gothic horror approach to it. We, we can only hope, but that would be amazing. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does with it. I don't have a lot more to share about it other than to say uh anytime that he announces casting news and it includes um you know people from his his stable of uh performers i i could not be more excited um i i always think that uh he is just you know he's one of the best modern horror filmmakers out there and hearing that he is going back to do another, you know, limited series like like he did with uh, um, Midnight Mass, I, I, I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. Um, Alan saying he likes the ring of this. Sure, yeah. Uh, and that he hopes he goes full Freud. Uh, sure, sure. You know, like I, I hope we get some... I mean, if we're doing Usher, then there's going to be some potential incest and, um, Flanagan, uh, Dan says master of horror. I'm excited for everything he is involved with. Is he a master of horror? Uh, just for the record, let's check. And against the science, as we have discussed before, you have to make three great horror films out of your first five, and then it's a sliding scale after that. So, uh, as director, um, let's see. Um, the first real 
film is Absentia, so let's start there. There's some like TV stuff before that and that kind of thing, but let's start with Absentia. So it's Absentia, great. Oculus, one of my truly one of my favorite movies uh, of the 2000s. Um, Hush, which is also great. So there's your three of five. Before I Wake, which is okay. I don't think it's as good as the previous films. I think it's okay. Um, not terrible by any stretch. Ouija Origin of Evil, which I think is very good. Gerald's Game, which I also think is very good. Um, I think that's a lesser work. You know, I think that's like a solid B. Um, Haunting of Hill House, until Midnight Mass, I would have said, is his masterpiece. Then Doctor Sleep, which is terrific. Um, he only did one episode of, of, of Bly Manor, so we'll, we'll skip that. I was not blown away by Haunting of Bly Manor. I thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was great. Um, Midnight Mass, again, just a masterpiece. Um, and then, uh, he's got the Midnight Club, which is coming out. Um, and which was created by him and Leah Fong and also stars some of, you know, the, the Flanagan, uh, standbys as well as Heather Langenkamp shows up in the Midnight Club. So, um, it, and it's about a, a group of terminally ill patients who gather at midnight to share scary stories. And that sounds terrific. So uh, I'm curious about that. He directed the first two episodes of that. And then, of course, uh, followed the House of Usher uh, coming up. So Mike Flanagan, undisputed. Now that the science is in, undisputed master of horror. Um, Dan says, never go full Freud. Yeah. Yeah, because then it's just nothing but a, a show about a bunch of cigars. Um, <laughs> Alan says, run the simulator. That's right. Uh, we we have officially uh, done the math. Mike Flanagan, unquestionably a master of horror. Um, okay, so let's get to our next story, which um, I, I just like because it, it's kind of fun to debate stuff like this. Um, all right. So the, the tale is that the writers guild of America, the union for, uh, screenwriters, um, has announced that get out is the best screenplay of the 21st century so far. Um, and let's see, parasite is in the top five. Um, there is also in, in, for just horror films in general, there's a promising young woman, arrival, Shaun of the dead, um, pan's labyrinth and Mulholland drive all, uh, make the list. Um, eternal sunshine of the spotted mind is at number two. Social network is at number three parasite at number four. No country for old men at five, uh, moonlight. By Barry Jenkins is at number six. There will be blood at seven. Inglorious Bastards at eight. Almost Famous at nine, and Memento at number ten uh, for the best films of the twenty or best screenplays, not best movies, just best screenplays uh, of the twenty first century. And um, you know, again, like any of these lists are, are kind of meant to engender uh, a little bit of debate. Um, I don't know that I disagree with that. Like, I don't think it's my favorite 
horror movie of the 21st century, but it's a damn good screenplay. It's real good. It's a, a real tight screenplay uh, because uh, it, you know, it kind of captures those elements of like mystery and suspense and social commentary. And like all the reasons that get out is kind of a, a marvelous film is that it's doing so much. It's juggling so much all at once and, and does it with uh, ease and uh, a terrific, terrific movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know that it's my favorite movie of the 21st century, but certainly in the, in, in the conversation. Um, and I like the fact that like, even as the, the, along with the, the press that came out around this, that even the writer's guild was like, look, you know, these are lists just made for people to argue about and people are going to argue about this list, but what are you going to do? You know? Um, here, based on our voting, here is, here is what happened. I was not invited to vote on that just for what it's worth. I, I am a member of the Writers Guild of America, but, uh, they didn't ask me my opinion. I probably would have said, I don't know what, what would be the best screenplay. Uh, I mean, Hereditary might be up there for me. Parasite is way, way up there too. Like that, I think I know it's number four on the list, but that might be my number one actually. Just from a pure writing point of view, Parasite is real damn good. Um, I yeah, I think it is based on the written script, which would be different than the movie because it would have the different ending, uh, the the much darker ending of the original. So, I think that is the case. Um. Dan saying it's an interesting list, some some huge omissions and some strange additions in my opinion, but hey, whatever floats your boat. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the Writer's Guild was pretty upfront about the fact that like, you know, we do this to just kind of start the conversation about screenplays and, you know, like the, the Oscars, for example, were created just to get people talking about movies. It, it's not really to pick the best movie because you know, art is subjective and how do you pick the best work of art? It's like picking the best painting of all time. It's like, well, this is the one you like the most, but is it the best? Is there a way to objectively decide like this is truly the best movie or painting or song or whatever? Um, it's hard to do that. Uh, th there's no real clear way to say that this is the best of anything. Um, but it's meant to get the conversation started around the idea of, well, if not this, then what? And, and also to just kind of emphasize like, you know what? Uh, movies are hard. Uh, it is uh, sh like genuinely difficult to pick what the best screenplay is because there have been a lot of great ones and you can debate a lot of that. Like no country for old men, not a genre script, but no country for, for old men is a terrific uh, pick for, the best screenplay. I mean, what a, what an amazing movie and an, an amazing script. So, you know, um, it's fun though. And I get out, like I said, hard to argue that, that, that movie just does so much and it does it with uh, a seemingly effortless manner, um, which is, is pretty exciting. Um, speaking of exciting and, uh, and great screenplays, uh, this may have none of that. Uh, <laughs> this is a list of, here's all the stuff coming to Sundance 2022. Uh, 
uh, coming next month. Uh, so here are the horror movies that are going to be um, uh, showing up at 2022. The the 2022 Midnight Sundance Midnight lineup. A uh, movie called Babysitter, directed by Monia Chokri, I think is the pronunciation, or, or close. The description of that is, after a sexist joke goes viral, Cedric loses his job and embarks on a therapeutic journey to free himself from sexism and misogyny. His girlfriend Nadine is exasperated by his narcissistic introspection until they hire a mysterious and liberated babysitter to shake things up. Um, that is one of those descriptions uh, that I think probably does not do the movie full justice, but it sounds interesting. Um, then there is Fresh from director Mimi Cave, or Cave, I assume Cave, uh, that uh, uh, is described thusly. The horrors of modern dating seen through one young woman's defiant battle to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetites. Uh, also sounds kind of interesting. Um, the picture, what you can see right there of uh, this kind of egg thing with a claw coming out, uh, is from a Finnish movie from uh, Hannah Bergholm called Hatching, which is described as, uh, while desperately trying to please her demanding mother, a young gymnast discovers a strange egg. She tucks it away and keeps it warm, but when it hatches, what emerges shocks everyone. That sounds pretty cool. Um... Piggy from Spain uh, is directed by Carlotta Pereda uh, and is described as uh, Sarah deals with constant teasing from girls in her small town, but it comes to an end when a stranger kidnaps her tormentors. Sarah knows more than she's saying and must decide between speaking up and saving the girls or saying nothing to protect the strange man who spared her. Uh, that sounds pretty interesting. And a lot of these obviously, uh, dealing with, um, kind of social issues, but it's Sundance. That's what you would expect from Sundance. Um, and the final film in the midnight series in 2020, uh, or 2022 rather would be speak no evil from a uh, Christian Tofdrup from Denmark. Uh, and is described, uh, like this, a Danish family visits a Dutch family they met on a, on a holiday. What was supposed to be an idyllic weekend slowly starts unraveling as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. And that sounds interesting to me. I there, I'm a big fan of movies that kind of explore the idea of like you know what happens when you stop being polite and start being real. Um, you know that the notion that it is it is human nature to be uh, a, like a social animal and to allow a lot of things sort of fly uh, when when in the good name of just being polite. And so a movie like this, Speak No Evil, sounds like uh, something I would enjoy. But it, an interesting kind of group of movies uh, that, you know, maybe duds. They, there may be a real classic in there. Uh, like Relic came out of the Sundance Midnight uh collection and and relic is amazing um alan <laughs> saying no country for old men is the only texas chainsaw sequel it's real good it's real good um also saying that they wga i assume needs a a science-based system again they did not consult me uh we have a way to uh evaluate these things and unfortunately they did not come to me for uh that kind of thing um, Jim Connick says, 
did some thinking this week on women masters, could only think of two that might have enough features, Roberta Finlay or Stephanie Rothman, and both of them are more exploitation than horror. <clears throat> All right, well, let's run the science on this. Um, okay. Roberta, uh, I feel like I was just discussing Roberta Finlay recently. Um, and give me, uh, maybe I'm not spelling this right. Give me a Roberta Finlay movie and I'll look it up, uh, that way. And then Stephanie Rothman. All right. Stephanie Rothman. Um, director of Bloodbath. Which one is Bloodbath? Have I seen this? I have not. Have not seen Bloodbath, so I can't speak to that. Uh, it's a Bikini World. Uh, or wait, whoa, whoa, no, Bloodbath. It's Bikini World. Haven't seen that. Student nurses haven't seen that. The Velvet Vampire. Uh, I have seen, and I think that is pretty fun. Um, group marriage. I've not seen Terminal Island. Have I seen Terminal Island? I have not. That sounds really interesting. Uh, you know what? Well, I, I, I can't say for sure that she is a master of horror. Um, I don't know that she did enough pure horror movies. But again, we keep running into that problem of, you know, not enough women who have done a series of horror films. Um... But an interesting collection of films that we might explore uh, later. Um, a Women's Torment. Okay. Um, is the Roberta Finley film. Um... Uh, I still can't find her on IMDb. Um, I can't find a woman's torment either. So I, you know what? We'll, uh, eh, I'll have to, I'll have to dig into that. Um, Glenn, Hey, what's up? Glenn says, which one of the uh, Sundance movies will be the people walked out because they were so shocked movie this year. Um, you know, there's always one. There was always one or two. Uh, I don't mind that, to be fair. Um, you know, because it's normies. The normies are going to the the horror movies for for that, uh, and and coming out like clutching their pearls, like oh my goodness. You know, Raw was like that. Um, yeah, I it's fine. I'm I'm cool with that. Uh, I, it's like any of those advertisements are like the most terrifying movie of 2021 is here. That kind of thing. I'm like, ah, I'll, I'll give it a day in court. I don't believe that, uh, until I see it, but you know, like hyperbole gets views. And so the reason that you see a lot of that is because there are so many websites contending for your attention and the way to get your attention is through hyperbole. Uh, whether it's this is the greatest movie I ever saw or this is the worst movie I ever saw. 
nobody wants to see a, a series of re- reviews that are like, you know, here's a completely adequate piece of entertainment. Um, you know, although a lot of my reviews tend to be that because I think I, I'm a big believer in the bell curve when it comes to just art in general, that there are on the one end there, there's some really exceptional, uh, films in terms of like being terrific in quality. There are some movies that are garbage, uh, in quality. And then, you know, the bell curve of that, where typically, you know, your average movie is just that an average movie. Um, but you know, that, that doesn't get clicks that, uh, that doesn't get the, uh, the, the conversation going. Um, but it's mostly true. Um, Jim also pointing out that bloodbath, uh, from, uh, um, Stephanie Roth Rothman is, uh, mostly a Jack Hill movie that, uh, Stephanie Rothman finished. Yeah. It's still, eh, that's an interesting collection of movies. I'm, I'm kind of, interested in exploring more of that as I'm kind of putting together the list of the, uh, the movies we're going to be doing for dark parade through January and February. I've got that kind of put together, uh, through February of what movies I want to be talking about. And, um, but maybe beyond that, uh, we'll, we'll get into, uh, some more women in horror. Cause it's it, ever since we, we've, first started talking about that it's a thing that's kind of been on my mind too is like it really is a bummer that there isn't that great female voice maybe mary warnoff is is the closest we get to it um i that that's the one that i kept coming back to um at any rate let's talk about one more news story before we get into the really uh controversial stuff which is that um coming soon to a theater near you, a new movie produced by Dark Castle Entertainment. Uh, they did Seance earlier this year, that uh, Simon Barrett joint. They're doing another movie called Book of Chaos. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of notable because they've been quiet for a while. Like uh, during the 2000s. You had like House on Haunted Hill and 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship and Orphan and Gothica. And um, anyway, they've been kind of relaunched since about 2017 and are coming back not only with Seance, but are doing Orphan First Kill, the prequel to Orphan that is somehow going to star Isabel Furman again. Um, And I think that it's kind of an interesting group of folks like it was originally Joel Silver and Robert Zemeckis and Gilbert Adler who had also all done that, uh, HBO tales from the crypt series. Um, interesting group of guys, uh, for sure. Like Joel Silver is weirdly the odd man in that bunch for me. Uh, cause he seems so much more action oriented. Zemeckis, I get Zemeckis has always kind of danced around genre, uh, filmmaking and did, like, uh, I love you to death. Is that what that was called? No, death becomes her. That's what it was. Um, and, uh, so anyway, I'm always glad when there's a new horror shingle or an old horror shingle, like just, uh, recently we talked about hammer studios, uh, basically saying that they're back in business. And so is dark castle. And I'm sure a lot of this has to do with the, the, the Blumhouse effect of like, Oh, 
maybe we can make a lot of money by giving directors a few million dollars and some of these movies are not going to hit. But if they do, oh boy, we are we are in for some cash. Uh, so anyway, it's kind of fun. I, I like the Dark Castle logo, um, which, you know, that's like saying I, I'm rooting for this football team because I like their uniforms, but that's kind of what it is. Um, and, but I, I do, I, I thought the Dark Castle originally, you know, this was all going to be, we're remaking some William Castle movies. Uh, but I, again, that's another thing I'm totally fine with. Um, so anyway, good to have him back. That's all. Uh, there, you know, more Dark Castle movies on the way. I, I dig it. Um, so let's get into the real fun, which is, uh, let's get to this. Uh, 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 let me make this change. Um, so the good people at, uh, Reddit, and by good people, I mean, you know, knuckleheads on the internet have assembled the 20 most disturbing movies of all time. According to, I think this was done in like our horror perhaps. Um, anyway, let's start at number 20 and decide if these are truly disturbing movies or if this is just, uh, you know, people being stupid. Um, Number 20, Suicide Circle, a.k.a. Suicide Club, the Shion Sono movie. Uh, I think Suicide Club and Suicide Circle is great. Um, I do think it's somewhat disturbing. I'm okay with that sitting at number 20. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, you know, thumbs up. Number 19, Threads, the British horror movie. Uh, well, not even a horror movie, technically. It is the British movie that is the British equivalent of the day after or the day after is the American equivalent of threads, depending on how you want to look at it. But it's about like, Hey, here's what would happen if uh, a nuclear war went down and the way that threads kind of poses the, this question is like, this is kind of best case scenario and it's horrifying. Uh, I have seen threads two or three times. Uh, you should really only ever watch it one time. But Threads is disturbing. So I'm 100% on board with Threads being uh, part of the list of most disturbing movies. Uh, number 18, we need to talk about Kevin. Um, This is where I do it. Disturbing? Uh, I mean, maybe. I don't know that I think it belongs on this list. I like We Need to Talk About Kevin a lot. I think it's a really good movie. I don't know that I would necessarily call it disturbing, but, you know, uh, your mileage may vary, I suppose. Uh, then we come to number 17, which is the X-Files, uh, but in particular an episode called Home, which was, I think, removed from syndication for a long time and was tough to see because it did garner a lot of complaints when people watched it when it first aired. I think this is a bit of a cheat because it's a television episode and not a movie, but eh, I also think it is, it's, it's pretty shocking. The fact that it was ever on television 
is shocking. If you've never seen the home episode of the X-Files, even if you're not an X-Files fan, you should watch that episode. It is, it's really something. Um, Jim saying threads is fantastic and deserves a spot on there. Yeah. I think threads is a no brainer. I think that home makes sense. Like again, if you've never seen the, uh, the home episode of the X-Files, you should, it's, it's really something. Uh, number 16, eight millimeter, uh, the Nicolas Cage movie. Again, this is not necessarily the top 20 disturbing horror movies, just movies. Um, again, I don't know that I would put eight millimeter on there. Um, it's not, I don't know that I found it that disturbing. I mean, the, the subject matter is for sure, but you know, it's one of those things that uh, like it's more show than tell or more tell than show for eight millimeter. You're mostly seeing the reaction. Like what was that George C. Scott movie where he was watching the, the, uh, the, the movie of the little girl being either like raped or killed or something. I, and I don't mean to sound casual when I say that. I mean, you know, but this is all pretend we all know this is all make believe. Um, but eight millimeter, I mean, I guess again, sure for the normies, I suppose that makes some sense. Um, number 15, totally agree with this one. Uh, it is John Waters, pink flamingos. Um, that is a movie that you have to be a special kind of weirdo to enjoy. I think it's very funny. Um, but it is uh, absolutely disturbing. That is a movie that goes out of its way to shock you. And, um, for the most part succeeds. I think, uh, pink hardcore Alan and Lee in the, in the chat reminded me of the George C. Scott movie hardcore. Yes. I think hardcore is more disturbing than eight millimeter. Um, but yeah, back to pink flamingos totally belongs on this list. Uh, yes, yes. Maybe, maybe the height of John Waters in his, I'm here to shock you years. Although, um, is it modern living? Hold on. Let's get the name of the movie, right? Uh, before I, I give you the, also you could go, uh, for this one. Um, female trouble is what I'm thinking of. Female trouble that run peak flamingos, female trouble, desperate living. Any of those movies could fall into that category of being like, well, this is kind of disturbing. Um, but pink flamingos is probably, that's probably right. That's probably right. Um, so I'm, I'm there for it. Uh, number 14 martyrs, the original martyrs. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely belongs on this list. Martyrs is a shocking film. Um, Lee says eight millimeter stood, uh, stood out for its time, but doesn't stand the test of time. I would tend to agree with that. I, I think it's again, one of those things that it's, it's more shocking in theory than it is, uh, in practice. Glenn saying pink, pink, uh, pink flamingos left a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> LOL. Yes. Uh, yes, of course, of course it did. That's what it's there for. Uh, but martyrs. Yeah. Martyrs is a terrific movie. Um, I like it a lot, but I also understand that it is uh, disturbing 
Um, it disturbed me. It is the the reason that you know French extremism was one of the reasons, like that and um, eels and you know frontiers and inside, like that handful of movies was like, what in the hell is going on in France? What what is the problem with these people? Um, but martyrs absolutely uh, belongs on the list. Um. Alan saying thesis is the better eight millimeter. You know, I have not seen thesis, but I've danced around it a number of times that that's going to be a movie I, I watch, um, at, at some point in the not too distant future. And Jim saying that, uh, he's never looked at a lobster the same after seeing female trouble. Yeah. Again, that, that run of female trouble, desperate living pink flamingos from, John Waters is a trio of movies that will will certainly shock you. Uh, number 13 is Come and See. And I'm not sure if I am familiar with Come and See. Uh, if I... Uh, if I could spell... It would, this would make a lot of difference. Come and see from 1985, I assume. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I'm familiar with the movie. I just haven't seen it. Yeah. This is about, uh, it's a, a Soviet film, uh, or a Russian film about, uh, a young kid joining, uh, the, the Soviet resistance movement against ruthless German for forces and experiences the horrors of world war two. So I have not seen come and see, uh, I have seen, the like the poster and 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 knew that it was a war film but i've never seen it so mm. um lee is agreeing however that come and see uh for sure is disturbing so uh i need to see that i guess you know because when i hear uh, a movie about the horrors of world war ii how uh, you know it's it is christmas time after all it's time to to watch these things uh, number 12, Todd Solondz's Happiness, which I definitely agree is a disturbing film. Uh, kind of a weird drama comedy, black comedy kind of thing. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Happiness is a tough watch. It, it involves a lot of just disgusting behavior out of people. And um, it, it, it like punches your soul. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, I can't speak to come and see happiness. I can't speak to happiness belongs on the list. Um, number 11 though, this is where it gets a little strange for me. Jacob's ladder is at number 11, a movie that I don't find disturbing at all. So maybe I'm just jaded and broken as a person. Jacob's ladder does not do it to me. Um, <laughs> any of the versions. Uh, I didn't, in fairness, I didn't see the sequel or the remake of Jacob's Ladder. That seemed like a thing that just did not appeal to me. But um, anyway, uh, League confirming uh, that happiness is icky. Yes, that is true. Um, the next on the list, sitting at number 10, we're getting into the top 10 now, is uh, Jesus Camp which is a documentary. And I would also agree that this is a disturbing movie for very different reasons. It is, 
Jesus Camp is a documentary about kids who are basically trying to one up each other in terms of being evangelical and re- like religious at a crazy level. Um, Lee also confirming that Jacob's Ladder does not belong on this list. That was one of the the handful of movies where I was like, really? I mean, okay. Uh, I don't, I, again, some of these uh, normies creeping into the list. But Jesus Camp, I think, is a good pick because it's like real world, like, holy shit, I can't believe there are people out there like this. Holy shit, there are a bunch of them too. Um, so, yeah. Um, number nine on our list is Irreversible. Uh, Gaspar Noé's Irreversible. Um, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That is a disturbing movie. Belongs on this list 100%. And most of uh, most of the movies uh, I, I agree with in the top 10. Uh, Irreversible certainly belongs on the list. Uh, number seven is a Serbian film, which... I would say, like, I don't think a Serbian film is a great movie. Um, is it disturbing? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, for for the end alone, like, it just goes places, right? Like, it is, it is a movie that trades on being shocking, and I think it is pretty shocking. Um, is it good? Eh, I don't know about that. But it definitely is, is shocking uh, and disturbing. And above a Serbian film is number uh, six... And that is Audition, uh, the Takashi Miike uh, film. I think I've seen Audition so many times, it doesn't disturb me now. At the time I saw it, I found it highly disturbing, not just because of the end of the movie uh, where, you know, a dude is getting pieces of him uh, carved up with piano wire. If you've never seen Audition, that happens and it's shocking. Um, but it's the, it's the dude in the bag, like the, the other guy that's being kept, uh, in audition that I think is incredibly, uh, disturbing. So again, I think it totally belongs on the list. It's also one of the best movies on this list. I think, uh, I am of the stripe. Uh, it's when we talked about audition forever ago on hero, hero go show, we talked about the alternate, uh, interpretation of that movie in which nothing after the initial dinner date is real. And that it's all like a figment of uh, the main character's imagination. And I tend to think that that might be the actual interpretation of the film. But uh, I like Audition a lot. I do think it belongs on the list. I I do think it's deserving, uh, deserving of its placement here. Um Alan saying it's so uh, it's so hard to take uh, a Serbian film seriously. Yeah, that's the problem with I think a Serbian film. Um, unlike the John Waters stuff, which I think comes by its trashiness. Honestly, a Serbian film feels like it was made somewhat cynically to get to that ending, just so that it could be shocking. Like the ending came first. Um, number five on the list is a movie that I think is one of the greatest hoaxes perpetrated on the, uh, the, the cinema, uh, audience. It's the human centipede, which I don't think is all that disturbing. I just think it's bad. Uh, 
the premise of it, like when you first hear the premise, that's kind of shocking. But I don't think the movie itself is actually nearly as disturbing as the premise. Um, I don't, I just don't think it's very good. Uh, I don't, I don't think it delivers on what it, uh, I mean, there is a human centipede and all that, but I, for whatever reason, it just, that movie just felt like a sham to me. Uh, so I, I do not like the human centipede. Uh, I don't find it all that disturbing. I find it mostly a waste of time. So I, I, there are other people I know that just think it is the peak of, uh, you know, this is, you know, pearl clutching kind of disgusting filmmaking. Uh, I ain't one of those people. Um, number four is kind of a curious one. Number four is Rosemary's baby. And that I think it doesn't stretch, but it certainly like, so it, 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 begs the question of like, what is disturbing? And the idea in Rosemary's baby, like, I think it's brilliant. I think the idea that all of a sudden you're in a world where everyone is against you. And I ain't even a woman from the 1960s, but that is really the thrust of Rosemary's baby, right? Is that your loved ones, your neighbors, your doctor, like everybody is in a conspiracy against you. And that is disturbing. And, uh, so I, I get it. I understand why it's here. Um, I think that's the disturbing element, not the like, Oh, he has his father's eyes. Like that part of it. I don't think is all that disturbing. Um, but the, the social paranoia I think works in that movie really well. Um, Lee say that human centipede is just more edgelord crap. I, I agree with that. Glenn says the second human centipede is much more shocking than the first. Yeah, I have heard that. I've watched about 10 minutes of, uh, the second human centipede movie and I just, I can't with those. Um, yeah, it just, it, life's too short. Um, <laughs> speaking of life being too short, number three, top three folks, is 120 Days of Sodom. And, you know, a.k.a. Solo. Uh, I totally agree that that movie is very disturbing. I don't know how much of a movie it is. Um, but it is, like, early on... Eh, like, that might be the first, like, true edgelord kind of movie. Of, like, we're just gonna... We're just gonna make this movie that's got a bunch of, like, disgusting and crazy and bonkers shit in it. Literal shit at times. Um, yeah, I, I think it belongs on the list for sure. Top three, mm, but it's up there. You know, it's definitely top 10 of like, I, you know, it's one of those uh, movies that you kind of check off if you're a horror fan when people are like, oh, you got to see Solo. And like I said, I don't know how much of a movie it is, but it is definitely uh something to behold. Um, Lee saying, uh, Rosemary's baby might be worthy. If you're one of those Catholics who found the exorcist, the pinnacle of terror to each their own. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that the religious angle or the, uh, sort of antichrist angle is what I find disturbing about human or uh, about Rosemary's baby. 
But the the idea of everyone being quietly against you is the thing that bothers me about it. And and I see I like I can I can make that argument, but being kind of top five, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, speaking of the the top five, let's round out the last two films. Number two, Requiem for a Dream, a hundred percent. Yes, Requiem for a Dream is disturbing as hell. Uh, that is, and and only more so, I think. Like that's a movie I've only seen maybe twice. Maybe I've only seen it the one time, but it definitely like it leaves a crater in your brain. Like that thing, you can feel the crease in your brain where that memory is formed, where you're like, Oh yeah, it's Jennifer Connelly and that other girl going ass to ass cause of, uh, their need for drugs that it is shocking that movie. And, but it comes by it honestly, like that is not a movie that's just out to shock you for the sake of shocking you. That is a movie that comes by it honest. And the Ellen Burstyn stuff is tragic and, and shocking Yes, yes, of a hundred times yes. Requiem for a Dream, I think, should have been number one. Um, that is the movie that will wake you up to the idea of like, oh, just over the, not over the counter, but just prescription pills can turn you into just a maniac. And Marlon Wayans losing his arm and whatnot. Um, yeah, ugh, ugh. The terrific movie, but also incredibly disturbing. Um. The number one is really bizarre to me, but the number one most disturbing film, according to Reddit, is Dead Girl, which, eh, I mean, kinda, I guess. Uh, Dead Girl, I think, is an interesting movie. Um, it, I was stunned to see it at the number one here, but it's, I like it. I think Dead Girl has some great ideas. I think Noah Segan is quite good in Dead Girl. Um, and I like what the movie has to say about male sexuality and male aggression and all of that. And the number one most disturbing movie of all time? Uh, I don't think so. But again, this is a, a list, uh, you know, for the normies. Uh, Alan saying, I found Requiem too camp to be disturbing in all honesty. That's crazy. I, I, I mean, I, I guess I just don't see the camp quality of Requiem for a dream. That was a movie that really hit me hard, but I, you know, not saying anybody's wrong. Uh, th this is all opinion stuff, but, um, yeah, I think Requiem for a dream is great and, and disturbing. Dead girl. I do think is disturbing. I don't think it's the most disturbing movie of all time. I, that feels like a movie that Reddit users would vote for though. Cause it is speaking of edgelord. Holy shit. That is an edgelord movie. Um, Lee's and uh, you know, not number one, but I can see an argument to have it on the list. That's where I am. I think it belongs on the list, but like bottom 10 or bottom 20, you know, like have that come in around 15 or 14. But yeah, that is the textbook definition of an edgelord film. As far as I am concerned. Um, I, th I, I think it has something to say. It's not just an edgelord film, but it's an edgelord film. Um, okay. And that's, <laughs> that is all the news I got, uh, um, for this time around. So, uh, any further questions you have, drop them in 
to chat as we're wrapping up. I got a handful of uh, movies coming to streaming um, uh, between now and when next we talk. Uh, December 17th on Netflix, The Witcher Season 2 is dropping. Not technically horror, but that's coming out. And on December 18th, uh, Old Boy is coming to Netflix. I assume that's the Spike Lee Old Boy. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, cross our fingers, it's the uh, the Park Chan-wook. Um, and then kind of nothing on the other streaming services until you get to Shudder, uh, who continues to do good work. Um, on the 17th, they've got a special, uh, called Joe Bob ruins Christmas, uh, that is coming. Uh, I am, yeah, you guys probably know this about me. I'm not a Joe Bob Briggs fan, but a lot of people love Joe Bob Briggs and I think that's great. I'm just not one of them. Um, it, you know, done a lot of good things for the genre, have a lot of admiration for the guy. Don't necessarily find the Joe Bob stuff all that entertaining. Uh, on December 13th, uh, which is tomorrow, if you're listening to this or if you're listening to Morbid Mondays, uh, that means today, um, there is a um, a documentary called All the Colors of Giallo uh, examining that particular uh, subgenre. And along with it comes the uh, addition to the shutter service of Orgasmo, which I just listened to the podcast over the stairs episode from a couple of days ago about that movie, uh, knife of ice. So sweet. So perverse. Another Umberto Lindsay, uh, joint, a quiet place to kill, uh, which I think is also Lindsay. Um, all the creatures were stirring is, uh, is not giallo, but is coming on the 13th to shutter on the 14th. Rose plays Julie, uh, which is an interesting sounding film and a movie that I have desperately been looking forward to watching. Uh, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, which is a sort of vampire movie. And I understand uh, just a contender for one of the best movies of, of 2021. So uh, that is another one. Speaking of Duncan McLeish, who uh, he's been banging the drum for that movie for a while. And, I'm very excited to check that one out. So that's coming in the next week to the streaming services. Again, if you are not subscribed to Shudder, you ought to, because that's where all the action is for we horror fans. Um, Alan uh, thrown a couple of uh, also rans uh, for the most disturbing movies of all time. And I haven't seen either of these. Um, Fat Girl and Man Behind the Sun. And Glenn also seconding uh, Man Behind the Sun. I haven't seen those. Um, and uh, Lee is off to watch uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Oh, man, that's good Harry Housen right there. Uh, have a good time, sir. Um, and uh, that's going to wrap it up here for uh, Sinister Sunday as well. Thanks for uh, hanging out, everybody. Thanks for debating these movies. Uh, that was a good time. I think, I think I'm going to try to find a list each time. I like these. I like talking about these lists, you know, uh, much like the Oscars and much like that writer's guild of America, uh, you know, best screenplays of 2020 or 21st century so far. Um, it's just kind of great to get the conversation rolling as always. Thank you so much for listening to the dark parade. Thank you for turning out, uh, for these live shows to chat about these movies I absolutely adore it. It's so much fun 
Um, thanks for uh, continuing to share and uh, support the show and all that fun stuff. Uh, we've got reviews up on iTunes now, so please, uh, if you haven't done so, continue uh, to do so there. That actually makes a giant world of difference. Um, and we got a bunch of stuff coming soon. Uh, we've got uh, Heart of Horror coming up pretty soon. There's going to be a new found footage full pretty soon. And then uh, this very week, we're starting the Black Christmas conversation. Me and uh, Court Psyops are going to talk about the original 1974 Black Christmas. And then av the week after that, uh, there won't be a uh, Sinister Sunday slash Morbid Monday next weekend because I'm going to be working. But uh, I, I highly uh, encourage you to check out the following week. In addition to Black Christmas 74, uh, I am joined by Richard Glenn Schmidt to talk about the uh, 2006 remake of Black Christmas. And that conversation as well is a banger. So I, I think you're going to really enjoy both of those episodes coming soon. Um, thanks to... Uh, everyone for participating with the Christmas Anonymous stuff. Again, I'll shut up about it other than to thank you until next year, and then I'll be annoying about it again and uh, try to get you to uh, to support that charity. It was, I, I can't tell you, I mean, my Grinch heart grew three sizes uh, yesterday doing all that stuff. It was absolutely terrific. So um, we will see everyone very soon for another Sinister Sunday and, uh, and plenty, plenty more coming on uh, the Dark Parade. So, uh, thanks again. We'll see you very soon. Bye.